Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Burke in the Game, an iHeartRadio podcast. And you're back. Uncle Sam Rubin is in the house, party people. <laughs> what? Didn't you miss us? Hi, Cheryl. I, I missed you terribly, but I was very interested in uh, progress and or uh, what progress has been made with with that list you had, the sort of checkoff list. What have you checked <laughs> off? Well, ask away. What what specifically are you curious about? Well, I, I mean, are we make? Do you think we're making forward progress? I know we're getting a lot of good advice. But are we? I'm making forward progress. Moving forward, okay. I'm definitely okay. like I. I actually just noticed it this morning that I when I woke up this morning I was like, oh, I found um, a sense of peace of being alone and like, I think for me, Sam, it's so easy to think like, okay, so is she ready to date? I know that I'm making those steps to changing the pattern that I tend to be attracted to when it comes to men. So for example, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago or a week ago on this podcast where there was a guy that I was attracted to and vice versa. He was really flirting with me hardcore at a shoot that I was at and he was the DP and East Coast, kind of loud. I don't know why I like tall East Coast loud boys, but I do. There's something about him that makes him like rough and tough. Um, But then... I was busting his balls a little bit and I was like, so he dated somebody that we both obviously know, me and you, meaning Sam, you would know her if I mentioned her name, but I'm not going to do that anyway. And he's in his forties and I asked, so are you married? Like, have you ever gotten married? And he asked like, how are you doing? I said, I'm going through a divorce, blah, blah, blah. He goes, no, I haven't yet. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's something in my stomach was like, that's a red flag. Why hasn't he never been married? And then I ask. So when it comes to like, what are you working on? Like, do you have a constant like job or do you like do one-offs like this a lot? He goes, yeah, I've never really had a constant, like I just do one-offs. And I'm like, right away, my <laughs> another red flag is like non-committal, non-committal, non-committal. Right. Anyway, the more right. I ignored him, the right. more he was like, like aggressively to the point where hair and makeup were like, Cheryl, this guy is 
freaking obsessed with you. He never asked me out. I think I wasn't giving that vibe, right? But I know that if I would have been a little bit more open and maybe less judgmental, he could have, but I know he's a red flag. I just know it in my heart now. That's progress, Sam. All right. So that's okay. progress. Okay. <laughs> that's progress in terms of, of okay, keeping of boundaries. Break, I don't uh, think I've ever had this a little bit. I haven't had boundaries before. That's progress. Okay. All right. So then the, the only thing, uh, and just as your uh, objective of friendly uh, and loving uncle, would have there been any value in even just a, a coffee date or something to, to further confirm your red flags or door number two, uh, maybe that there was something of quality there. Yeah. You know, I would have, if he would have asked, but he never did, but that could have been because of my body language. Mind you, I also had horrible news that same day, um, when it comes to my divorce, but obviously I can't talk details, but that really messed up my whole rest of day. So I was, he was hanging out in the parking lot and I thought maybe for sure he wanted, but I was not, I was so pissed at the email I received. So wasn't well, there you know, for then, it. Well, then that, that, that sort of takes you out of it for that time. All right. So that, that's all right. That's some progress. What about other steps you hope to be taking? Because we've got to, I mean, again, your house is lovely, but we've got to get you out of your house. Well, I've been out. So I went out with a few friends and then I noticed that I wanted to drink again after the hour that after like 1030 ish, I was like, uh Oh, it's like I turned into a pumpkin like, or I should be because if not, I'll be holding um, a vodka soda. So I've realized that when I'm out with friends, as soon as they start to look tipsy or if they're starting to get a little obnoxious in a good way, I have FOMO, which is fear of missing out. And I want to also join the club. So what I did was I dropped them off at the next place after the dinner and I went home and I was really proud of myself. So that's another act of service towards no, myself. You, 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 no, you should be. That, that to me is extraordinary progress. You should mm -hmm. be proud of yourself because to me, that opens the door of being able to go out and knowing, you know, knowing when to say when. So that's, yeah. I think that's tremendous progress. I went to Joe Coy's movie premiere uh, last night. I've been out. I'm, oh. I'm, I've been out too much, actually. Okay. It's too, too much. All right. <laughs> no kidding. A tiny, a tiny sidebar. Yeah. How was the movie? Didn't stay for it because I had to work. Okay, that happens. I understand. But also Joe Coy was on All Filipino right. time. He um, was late. He was late to his own premiere. Oh, no. Uh, yes, uh -oh, and there is such terrible. a thing. There's a such th there's such a thing as Filipino time, which is very late. <laughs> right. Well, you you know the I I know he and Chelsea are no longer together, but you know he he talked about Don't. you know and I say this all the time. I quote unquote worked it, and I was like, how long did you work it? He said I worked it for fourteen years. So, I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> that's a pretty a pretty long time. That is, I, I do remember I, I back in the day, I actually hung out um, with through mutual friends with Chelsea. And I remember Joe Coy being there at this pool party, I think in her right. house in Malibu. And he was, he's right. He's not lying at all. But I, what I love though about him is that, you know, we're Filipino, we're getting recognized for our talent and, um, and the arts. And I love that. And I love how he represents us. But anywho, what is going on with you since you got off that Disney cruise? You look extra tan. I uh, went, I, I've been doing a lot of uh, dad stuff this summer. My son and I went on a Boy Scout high adventure. And as, uh, as dull as that might sound, it was really interesting. So a 12 day trip, backpacking and kayaking. Wow. Have you ever been to the San Juan Islands in Washington state? It's the very Northwest no. tip of the good old USA. It's absolutely beautiful. And you know, here's the thing, somebody like you who is naturally fit, 
this kayaking, I think you'd love. It's just unbelievably beautiful. But are you a camping type person or do you have to spend the night at the inn? I'm a glamping type person. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, yeah. they, for the, the the backpacking, we did all, you know, this was the scouts and dads and moms all on our own. You know, That's carrying so cool. backpacks, it was a lot of stuff. But the kayaking was done with an outfitter. So they did all the cooking and they did kind of all the hard stuff. But what it was a great really way. Great. And then the one thing I'm, it was really nice. And then the one thing that I'm adjusting to now is, you know, on any given day, what you and I are used to. I've got the phone here. Here's the first time I've opened the laptop in almost two weeks. Oh. And so I'm, you know, it's the, the re-emergence of all that. Wow. Okay. So quickly before we move to our guest, Dr. Jen Mann, yeah, who's sure. a, a certified therapist, she's been on VH1's um, uh, couples therapy for a long time. She's done a few seasons of that. She also did a, like a little uh, pop-up over at Dancing with the Stars, I guess, uh, seasons ago. I don't remember. Clearly it was back in my drinking days, but sh she did a segment about like the psychology behind movement, which I find fascinating. I tend to like want these therapists to mother me. Like I just get gravitate towards therapists. But before we get to her, what is a trigger for you in relationships? Like that really, like, what is one thing that triggers you? I'm actually curious. Uh, okay, I, I tell you what, what, that's very interesting. I I think I'm one who avoids conflict. And I think the real trigger for me are flashes of anger. And I remember um, I was married and then I was no longer married and I was dating. And I was dating somebody who was, who was literally so gorgeous, people like fell down. I mean, it was just, and it was, like actually? It was funny. Because I'd never, uh, it, uh, yeah, it, it was like the seas parted. And it was interesting to me because I think I've always gone out with or married to attractive people, but this was at a kind of a different level. And it was just, it, it was interesting. And I'm not a trophy type person or anything, but it was like, wow, people do treat you differently, you know, if, you're, if there's a supermodel with you. And so anyway, she had been divorced. We had had three or four fantastic dates. And then I was in the car and her ex-husband called and I said, you know, gee, you know, like, like I would give anything not to listen to this call. <laughs> anyway, she was like, no, no, this will just be a quick, you know, scheduling thing, whatever. And they just had the most horrible, oh, no. awful, screamy, terrible fight. And I just knew, you know what, I can't, I, whatever, I, I don't know. I don't know both sides of the argument. I don't know anything about it, but I can't go forward here. And she decided I, to I pick just, up the I remember, call. I, yeah. And I remember that so vividly. Maybe she decided to pick up the call because it's like, well, he probably should see the totality of my whole world. And it was like, oh my God. Oh, I, wow. I'm literally getting chills thinking about it. And so, oh, interesting. So, I, I, so I, I've been accused of being an underreactor and have been accused of not having, mm. you know, a, a temper, which sometimes can be healthy, I suppose, but I can't, these like just big flashes of anger, just, oh, I can't take it. So oh, that, wow. that was do you, a terrible trick. Do you know what attachment uh, style you are? There's either anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, or um, what's it called? Uh, secure attachment. Gosh, I'm, I'm not those exact definitions. When you say them, I feel secure attachment sounds like the one that would fit, but I don't really know what you're talking about. Okay. All right. Good to know. Bye, okay. Uncle Sam. Good. You're Thank like you. Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam. Bye. Some people love you. Some I people don't. don't. Can't wait. Yes. Um, you're the best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much.
<laughs> all right. I'll check in with you next week. Really excited about all your progress. Congratulations to you. Thank okay. you so much. All right. Great catching up with you, Sam. And let's get to our guest, Dr. Jen Mann. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Dr. Jen. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? 
I am good. So good. I know that we worked together on Dancing with the Stars. I don't even remember who my partner was, though. Do you remember? If I heard his name, I would know. Um, Athlete. What did he look like? He um, had dark hair, olive skin, adorable. Sports player, actor. Who else was? Who else did you see? Because it was part of the dancing. So, guys, so Dr. Jen and I go have have history. She was yeah. on Dancing with the Stars doing a segment, right? So the segment was about um, the psychology behind dancing, right? Yeah. It, well, it was about kind of like preparing your nerves for dancing. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember who else you saw? Because I'm still trying to figure it out. It's probably when I was back in my drinking day. So my memory is a little foggy. But you know what? Don't even worry about okay. it. But it's all good. Anyway, I love it. Okay, so we definitely have history together, right? As far as Dancing with the Stars go. But let's not talk about the past. I have so many freaking questions for you because I stalked you as I do with all my guests, but I definitely relate to everything as far as um, attachment style goes. I'm reading the book Attached at the moment. I've been in quick, I guess, summary. Therapy, huge advocate since I was a little girl. I have a cognitive therapist and then I have a somatic uh, practitioner. And um, I love this stuff. And I really am, I'm in this part of my life where I'm so curious. I'm like a sponge. So tell me everything now. No, I'm kidding. Tell a little bit about yourself first um, to our listeners, Dr. Jen. Absolutely. Uh, My name is Dr. Jen Mann. I have been a licensed therapist for about three decades. Most people know me from DH1 Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen or BH1 Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. A lot of people also know me from my books. I've got like four best-selling books or my column in InStyle Magazine. It's been running for many years. And then there's some people who know me from my radio show that was on Sirius XM called the Dr. Jen show. So if my name sounds familiar, <laughs> my voice, here I am. <laughs> That's who you are. Jen with two N's. Um, two N's. Yeah. Two and if you know her from Dancing with the Stars, she did a segment on the psychology behind dancing, which is fascinating because I've always said dancing has saved my life. And now I know why being, why through my somatic um, experiencing uh, practitioner, right? So I never knew, I never understood like when I was a teenager competing, I never understood why I would walk in depressed to rehearsal and then just like feel amazing, right? And so now I believe that there is a direct correlation when it comes to mental health and movement. I am actually hopefully soon launching a program called Body Language where it, I have my somatic practitioner involved as well, where we just literally step, not step by step, movement by movement, we talk about what, like, how are you feeling? What do you feel when your body, what sensations come up in your body? And I find that so helpful for someone like me because it's really hard to put language behind the feelings sometimes. I love that. And I also have a dance background. I did rhythmic gymnastics. Is that stuff with the ribbons and hoops, clubs, rope, ball? Ribbons or no? Yeah, the ribbons for sure. I was on the national team for five years. I performed exhibitions in the 84 Olympics. And I'm a big believer that if you, especially if you have movement in your past, if you're someone who in elementary school, you played soccer, you did dance, you were on the swim team. And now in your adult years, you are not doing movement. I believe it's kind of built into our wiring that we need that. And I also, one of the things I see a lot, especially right now, since the pandemic is the importance of people's need to connect with things that 
light them up and bring them back to the healthiest parts of who they are. And I really believe that movement is, is an important part of that. Well, everybody, and this is why I'm so, um, I guess, hesitant to say steps because people get intimidated by dance, the word dance, but movement, we all do it. You could be, you know, in a wheelchair, you're moving, you can move your fingers, you know, or there's so many different ways of moving. It doesn't have to be salsa dancing. And I think yep. that through that, there is a therapeutic benefit for sure. Um, I'm not a licensed therapist, obviously you are, but, um, yeah, <laughs> yes. Good. Yay. Okay. So moving forward, I guess, you know, as far as, okay, you talked about like what, what lights you up now when it comes to two people, a couple married or not married, just like in relationships in general, right? Let's just cut to the chase. Why do people cheat? I believe that, and by the way, the studies show this, is that the number one reason why people cheat is a lack of connection. And people typically think, oh, it's because of sex. No, yeah. But there's a guy named M. Gary Newman, who I talk about a lot in my book, The yes. Relationship Fix. I'm actually reading your book right now. A, oh, thank you. And he gave me a wonderful endorsement. I think he is just one of the greatest researchers when it comes to relationships. And what he found is that he did one of the longest studies of couples who cheat. And he looked at 500 men who cheated, and then he did 500 women. He studied specifically heterosexual relationships, but in my clinical experience, it all translates to same-sex relationships as well. And what he found was that for men, it was, I think, 97% of the time, for women, 96% of the time, that the reason why they cheated was either a lack of emotional connection or a combination of a lack of emotional and sexual connection. So I'm a big believer that connection is really the key to infidelity prevention. Right. And that we tend to, like, I, I remember a million years ago, I dated a guy like post-college and he bought cars and he would fix them up and then sell them. And he had this one car in particular that he bought and he spent months and months and put all this money and time and energy into this car. And at the end of it, he was like, I don't want to sell this because I'd put so much time and energy into it. Our relationships are the same. You got to put time and energy it, into we, it. <laughs> yeah, that, that there will oh, look. There will always be someone who is hotter, perkier, no, has no. a better ass, has perkier boobs, like whatever it is. Fill in the blank. Has yeah. a bigger penis, like than than you. But yeah. where you have the home court advantage is that connection. Because Correct. that is something that is not a quick replacement. And it's also something that we all know you don't develop that overnight. And when no. you've invested in the relationship and the connection, it's something you don't want to lose. But see, so that's the thing is that people who feel that they connected, let's say, with that other person, okay, that they think yeah. they're falling in love with or that they are having a relationship with, um, it is not a real connection because there is that is that honeymoon phase, yep. right? So that is yep. that, oh my God, you start to have that butterflies. And Butterfly. I think people equate yeah. that to love. And that's because of movies yep. like The Notebook, which are just horrible for our society, right? Like it's like, uh, that is not love. It's fake, 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 fake. But um, it's those moments, like I've seen it firsthand. My mom and real dad divorced when I was two. And I saw my mom go up and down, up and down, up and down. And my mom would make sure that I continue to develop a relationship with him. So she would make sure that I would visit, and which means that she would come. And I saw, I was like, I always thought, maybe my mom's still in love with him. And then with my stepdad, yeah. who's a lovely man, you know, it's just like, but that is love. This is 
what we all should strive for because it's not boring. And I used to label it as boring. Like I don't want to be in a like stagnant, boring, just like relationship, you know, but that is actually the beauty of a partnership, right? But it also takes maturity and wisdom and for some sobriety (laughs) to understand that and to, to value it. And yes, it's not black or white. But. Yeah. And, and also, I think at the beginning, a lot of the time people think, oh, my God, that butterfly thing, that means I'm in love. But that butterfly thing doesn't mean you're it's in all love. the that reality. Yeah. Can, can mean it's it that there is chemistry. Um, in some cases, it can mean it is dangerous for you. Like there are some people who I work with where when they get the butterflies and they get really excited, it's actually a warning sign. This person's very Red familiar funny. to that unhealthy parent that you once had and your unconscious is aligning with his or her unconscious and this is not healthy for you. No, and I'm guilty of it, which is why I've been slowly, I'm not even getting back into the dating world because I know that if I, because I am that client, you know, where it's like I am an adrenaline junkie, as they say, but I can find that same feeling something doing something else not playing or messing with my own um heart or my bound my vulnerability basically right so i think it's very important that we i am guilty of making up this amazing general hospital episode in my head believing it and then when the person finally texts an emoji i'm like oh my god and when he does it i'm like oh my god he hates me what did i say what did i do what did i and i'm like Totally. I don't want to fall back into that. I don't want my mood or my day to be dictated by a freaking emoji. So like I need to then retrain my brain, which I'm in the process of, yeah. and learn that nothing outside of me should make me feel that way, right? Like in that sense. But it's not that black or white. Like I am so far from it, but that is my pattern because of the, maybe the sexual molestation I went through when I was a little girl. I had no real father figure except my stepdad obviously came into play. But after those very crucial years of when it really means a lot to have a, you know, a nice or a good father figure and mother figure and you know what I mean. Absolutely. And, and also the other thing with that kind of um, feeling that you get when you're waiting for the emoji is that your focus <laughs> in all of that is, and, and you're obviously not alone. Like a lot of, no, a lot of your listeners and viewers are going to be like, yeah, yeah that's me. Cause I, I think it's very easy to slip into that. But also what happens in that is your focus is on what does he think of me? Yes. And when you're in the initial dating kind of period, you should be looking at what do I think of him? Amen. Is this person compatible with me? What are the warning signs? Are there any red flags that are going on? But when we are so hungry for the validation, the connection, the, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is we didn't get from childhood. Yeah, no, totally. Know, all that and being as scared yeah. to be a, your authentic self because you're yeah. scared that if you are, or let's say you were on that last date and he doesn't text you, like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? It's like, it's never really what's wrong with me. It's like, what's wrong with him or that her? And is that correct? It's not we, like, not what's wrong. Right. You can't compare. Yeah. It's the and, devil. And, and look, sometimes it's, what is wrong with this person? Because sometimes you go on a date and someone is clearly pathological. You're like, 
there is something wrong. This person has a personality disorder. This person has some issue that would make for a terribly unhealthy, horrible relationship. But then there are other times where you go out with someone who is perfectly lovely and you're just like, we're just not compatible or the chemistry isn't there. And sometimes it takes time to develop chemistry, but other times it just isn't there, no matter how terrific right. the person is. Which is why I believe in Zoom dates maybe first, because going to dinner with somebody is a huge commitment. Really. It's like that takes hours. And nowadays, if you're using a dating app, you never know if he's a killer or, you know, I'm just making that up. I'm pretty sure they do background checks, but. Well, they don't. I mean, like, look, I I think that it is important to make sure that when, when you are going on a date, that you want to do the Google search. You want to kind of see, do you have any mutual friends? And if you don't- Hire a private investigator. I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah, well, absolutely. But also before you put in the investment in that, go to dinner in a public place. Don't get into a car with him. Yes, yes. Like all that sort of, like really part of self-care, part of having self-esteem is also knowing that we are worth taking these kind of protective measures to take care of ourselves. And that shows self-respect as well to the other person. Um, Okay, quickly just shifting back to the original question of why do men cheat? Now, is it true, because John Gottman, um, he, you you may know, you definitely know him, but you may want to explain to the listeners who he is, but he says that 100% of the time he has um, men leave, let's say, uh, their marriage or their uh, relationship because they have found they go to somebody else. Is that true? Like they, they have. They, it's unusual. He said 100%. In my I wouldn't say 100%, but I would say like 99%. I like, I like to look for like the occasional outlier, but I, in my experience clinically uh, for, you know, three decades, I, it's highly unusual for a man to leave a relationship without someone lined up. What I see is that it typically takes men longer to attach, but once they attach, they attach for longer and then they need that attachment. So it's unusual for a man to go from a marriage to working on themselves. I'd rather be alone. Yeah. 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 So that actually, whereas women, I see it a lot more. Yeah. No, I hear you. And you want to explain to our listeners who John Gottman is really quick. Um, John Gottman is this absolutely amazing researcher and he can predict divorce with something like 97 or 98% accuracy. And John Gottman, what he does is he puts couples in these kind of apartments basically with one-way mirrors, and he has his team of people who monitor every word out of their mouth, their heart rate, their blood pressure, everything. So he can tell you kind of what fights are going to lead to divorce, what the path, like it's, he, it's like, it's like big brother, you guys, but like he's doing a a lab, it's in, it's in his lab and he follows these couples for years. Yeah. Right. I mean, his, his research is, some of the best relationship research that's ever been done. And and that's where I, so yeah, and he said 100%. And so that actually made me change my perspective. Like a lot of people may think women are very codependent or they need to get under somebody before they, uh, or to, in order to get over somebody else. But really, maybe it's also equal or the same or who knows, but men are also very much 
like I don't know any of my straight friends that are men that are like I'm I'm just gonna work on me and learn to love me <laughs> yeah yeah and, and look and at the same time look I can't tell you how many times I have told women in my practice or on one of my shows you need to spend one year by yourself do not date for one year and they haven't been able to do it so you know I think that 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 we have a lot of anxiety as a culture and fear around being alone. Yes, I thought so. That, that there are a lot of negative associations that really need to be worked through. Because I think that if you don't know you can be alone, you are far more likely to pick an unhealthy relationship. And once you're in it, you can't get out. Because if you can't be alone, you're not someone who's going to be like, you know what? who needs this? I'd rather be on my own. Like I love being by myself. Like I'm not going to put up with this crap. Yeah. Instead, you're more likely to stay. Um, I agree. And I'm actually going through this right now. I wasn't very, um, I guess I wasn't great at being alone. And now I am enjoying every single minute of it. But I also know what you just had said. Like I need to, I'm never going to love myself a hundred and percent, even a hundred percent. Right. But I need to love myself more and continue to put me first, learn about what my boundaries are, learn about what I want in men, learn the red flags and learn about, okay, what are my triggers in that sense? Like what do I normally do in a relationship that I don't think is necessarily what I should be doing as far as living in la la land versus, okay, what is the reality? Like sometimes I'll get taken, I'll get in this like cloudy mode when I'm dating men. You project and, the fantasy onto yes, the person. And I'm trying. And yeah. when you say like, okay, there's red flags. See with me, I get so clouded. And maybe this is yeah. why millionaire matchmaker, Patty Stanger said, you have to date multiple men. I've never done that before. Yeah, but I probably this is the reason, right? Yeah. I love her yeah. too. She is probably referring to the fact that you're not so, cause I get very consumed. As I said, I'm an addict and I get very, um, like narrow-minded, like, and I'm like laser focused, right? Like all or nothing, let's get married tomorrow well, because also, it just feels fun. And also you're probably someone who would rather do one thing, but do it really, really well Absolutely. than do 10 things. Oh yeah. Clearly look at my ballroom and, dance career. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then yeah. it, it translates your relationships in a not as, as healthy way, but no. go back to something you said. You said, I'll never love myself a hundred percent. Why? Well, what I'm trying to say is I'll never, like, I'm not going to wait until I love myself a hundred percent to date. I'm going to wait until I'm ready. Right. But like, I yeah. think that there is a lot of more, there's like 90% left to go. And, but yeah. I'm enjoying the, um, me being so curious and wanting to yeah. be better. I just want to be better. And I yeah. know I will be a forever work in progress is what I'm trying to say. We all are. Yeah. yeah. And I what think though that if I were to wait till I was a hundred percent with like the whole self-love thing, I'd probably be 60 something until I started dating again. And I don't see, I think I need to um, date before then. <laughs> for, for sure. I, I agree. What holds you back from the 10%? I think I've, no, the 10% is me loving myself. I have 90% more to go. <laughs> oh, wow. But I think okay, I'm being so a harsh critic. I'm definitely being a harsh oh. critic, even though this is okay. also not part of my work. I have to learn about self-talk and loving my little, you know, child inside me that wants to throw temper tantrums. But um, maybe that's an exaggeration. I would say it's like 40, 60. And, and look, I, I think part of the key most likely for you without really knowing you very well <laughs> is 
accepting your flaws. Yeah. That we are all flawed. You're never going to not be flawed. None well, of us are. Right. And that's where the perfectionism and, and the OCD, that. you know, the hangers and stuff like we, I think that is, how do you, is, does that mean that somebody is like trying to be perfect when they're OCD like that? Well, look, there's some level of OCD that is genetic. There is some that is learned behavior. There is some that is just kind of wired into us. And then there's also, there's some that becomes unhealthy. And and look, having all of the same hangers in, in your closet and having things organized nicely can also be a great way to be efficient. Mm. You're not searching through your closet for things. Where it becomes unhealthy is if you can't leave your house because you have a shirt out of place, then it becomes unhealthy OCD. But if it's just, I really like my stuff organized, it's more efficient. I like that just kind of makes my life go more smoothly. Great. More power to you. That works for you. Got it. We just don't want it to become debilitating. Right. Okay. I hear you. Okay. So in your, one of your um, YouTube videos, that I saw, I think you were doing a talk at a college. I'm not sure, but you, you say that, you know, what, what are basically, what are incoming missiles? Like what, what does that mean? And, um, are the, is that equivalent to red flag? Yeah. Um, you know, I talk a lot about incoming missiles and I, I do a whole, um, couples therapy group in on couples therapy on BH1 all about incoming missiles. And incoming missiles can come in a lot of different forms. It can be something as obvious as an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend reaches out to one of you and then you've got a problem. And there is maybe a temptation or maybe one of you doesn't tell the other or, or you know, that's an incoming missile, but it's someone who's trying to do harm to your relationship. But sometimes it's more kind of, it appears benign, but it's harmful to your relationship. It can be the in-laws who say, oh, we're coming and we're staying with you for three weeks. That's an incoming missile. That's something that's probably not good for your relationship. There's some couples for whom like, that's awesome. Great. We can't get enough of them. But for others, that's not the case. An incoming missile can even be something at like not having a lock on your bedroom door, which all couples should have if you have children and right. a kid who is coming in and out of your bedroom because they don't know any better and they haven't been taught about boundaries. Mm. So it can come in a lot of different shapes or forms. It can also come in isms. It can be, you know, any kind of addiction or, you know, workaholic or, you know, drug addiction or Mm -hmm. compulsive gambling or acting out with sex. It can come in a lot of different shapes and forms. So is it similar to red flags then? It's a little different in that usually we look for red flags at the beginning of a relationship because if we see them, it's like, we have to get out. Like this, we're not going to proceed with this relationship Mm. because this red flag is so big, or it may be a small red flag that it's like, okay, we got to keep an eye on this and see how this develops. Whereas this is something all couples have incoming missiles, all like, no matter how healthy you are, there Mm -hmm. will always be something that will try to take away from your relationship. And it doesn't mean there's something wrong with your relationship, but how you deal with it and how you talk through it and how you make boundaries is about how you protect your relationship. So how do you deal with it? Because if let's say incoming missiles are happening when you've already said, I do, what do you do? Well, first of all, you need to kind of define them. You need to sit down as a couple and Mm -hmm. talk about 
what feels like a threat to the relationship, what feels like a threat to your time together, what feels uncomfortable. And two people in a relationship don't always see it the same way. One person may be like, oh yeah, look, I've been friends with that ex for a hundred years. I feel nothing for that person and they're not a threat to our relationship. But you also have to hear if your partner feels uncomfortable with something, as long as it's not an abusive controlling relationship where they mm -hmm. don't want you to have any friends, don't want you to have a support system, don't want you talking to your family. If they're a reasonable person and they say, look, this person makes me really uncomfortable. I think it's important to respect that and to be able to say, you know what? why don't we do dinner with that person? Like, I'd like for you to get to know him so you can feel more comfortable. And if you still feel like he's a threat, then let's talk about it then. But really yeah. working with our partner to make sure that that we are honoring the relationship and putting the relationship first. And not being like, or not avoiding it, obviously, and not... Yeah. Um, not talking about it. I think, you know, people say communication is so key, and it, but it really is. And if yeah. you, I think for, you know, my past, it was hard to, um, the communication was no longer existent. So, you know, the therapy yeah. started and it really is retraining your brain to talk about like how you're feeling as opposed to accusing somebody and feeling like you're attacking. Yeah. And that in itself takes a lot of work, you know, learning to, yeah take accountability. And I was doing one of your exercises. So, I mean, I would like to go over it with you to see if it's I okay. would love that. Um, it's called, so I wrote down my triggers, right? You said okay. to write down right. like a list of my triggers. And this is just from the top okay. of my head at like one in the morning this morning. Um, okay. So, you know, this is, I guess this falls, why? So why do you ask people to list their triggers? I guess first we can start there. Well, it's important to know what your triggers are in your relationship so that you can take responsibility for your triggers because right. our triggers, and a lot of the time people just think of like triggers, like warnings on Instagram. But in this sense, what I'm talking about with triggers, and I talk about it more in my book, The Relationship Fix, is something that your partner says or does that sets you off. And typically they're things that make us feel threatened in some way. We feel insulted. We feel threatened. We feel like a fear of abandonment. We feel um, hurt. We feel angry and we're reacting. And no matter how great you are, no matter how great your relationship is, eventually we trigger our partners because to kind of digress for a moment, we tend to pick people who, if you sat down and you made a list of all of your mother's positive and negative traits, all of your father's positive and negative traits, or whoever it is that you grew up with, your primary caregivers, that we tend to pick people who have both the positive and negative traits, or usually some combination. So what happens is that our unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future. It's always trying to heal old wounds in current time. Interesting. So what happened is like, let's say, for example, let's say you had a father who uh, was a Here. alcoholic. Yes, he was. Yeah. And he was also, um, a, uh, I guess, a ladies man. So he could only sleep with a woman okay. once. Isn't that crazy? Wow. That he must have been very, very busy. Fertile? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So... You have dad who is an alcoholic philanderer. So he's emotionally unavailable to you. Children are egocentric. What that means is it's not narcissism. Children are supposed to developmentally think that everything is about them. 
So that little girl mm-hmm. goes, if only I were fill in the blank. More wait, is that constant though? Is that is sorry, I sorry to interrupt you. Is that yeah, throughout So yeah. wait, if your dad was an alcoholic and um and cheated a lot, right? And he slept with mm-hmm. other women. But so that doesn't so my dad was a narcissist. He he passed away. Yeah. So that means I'm egocentric. No. What it's it totally okay. Is it's totally okay. I love no, I love no, no, this but, stuff. So no, but children are egocentric. You're now an adult. Got it. It's healthy as a child to be egocentric. And what that means is that little girl goes, daddy's gone again. If I was more lovable, if I was better behaved, if I was cuter, if I was whatever, wouldn't be doing this. He would want to stay home and hang out with me. Yeah. So what happens is that little girl internalizes that message. Something about me is not lovable. Not good enough. She Mm -hmm. then goes on in her adult life and unconsciously picks people She's most likely to pick people who are emotionally unavailable in some way. It doesn't have to be that he's an alcoholic and a cheater. It may be that he's a workaholic. It may be that he's a drug addict. It may be that he is a compulsive gambler, but she's likely to pick someone that's going to trigger that old unavailable dad wound. Then what happens is that person then does that emotional unavailable thing. And that child goes, oh crap, I like, dad must be right. I must not be lovable. I'm going to try to do all of these things to make that person stop doing the thing that they're doing, the drinking, the gambling, whatever it is. And if I'm really lovable, he'll stop and dad will be wrong. And it feels like home, right? Like it's a familiar feeling. It feels like home. It's very familiar. And on the positive side, your unconscious is trying to heal this old wound. Mm. But the problem is the odds of that person who you picked actually stopping the behavior are minuscule. And only and you can you, heal it. Is that correct? Yeah. You can't yeah. find it through only, other only, people? Only you can heal. Look, relationships can be incredibly healing when we pick healthy people who are willing to do the work with us. But picking someone who is doesn't want to get well, doesn't want to change, like, then they're likely to say, you're so controlling. And then what happens is they pull away from you even more, which triggers all of your abandoned stuff even more. And it creates this horrible, vicious cycle where everyone's freaking out. And thinking you can fix them because that instead of fixing you, you know, again, you're trying and this never going to happen. So it is a vicious cycle. You're right. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. 
It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing. Right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, should we start with number one of my uh, list of triggers? Yes, please. I want to hear. Okay, not holding any accountability or responsibility over their actions. Do you want to talk okay. more in depth or should I just list them out for you? Well, I, 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 it's clear where that probably came from. So yes. the dad. Yeah. So yes. the dad did his thing and didn't say like, hey, I'm screwed up. I'm doing this right. for this reason. No, like, right. Yeah. I'm going right. to get help. Absolutely. I didn't even think a bit about it. Like, let's relate it to my past. It's more like, I guess I, but I just learned that this was a trigger for me. Maybe it has always been. I couldn't put it into words, but the accountability I've realized that it is so important in anybody's healing process because I'm in a, I'm grieving at the moment, right? Like a divorce is a death. And I do 100%. now know though that no matter what, as good as you may think you feel for helping somebody or thinking that, okay, I'm going to give this person a better life and I'm going to support. It's not, it's not, that's not what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. And I think that there then builds resentment 
especially if you don't but talk also, it's and not communicate your job it. To, it's not your job to rescue another adult. Correct. And I've learned that today. Yes. And, <laughs> or yeah, a long time and, ago, but I'm learning it. Yes. Yeah. And, and sometimes we have to learn it over and over again. Oh, for sure. And this is why it's yeah. going to take many lifetimes to feel like, okay, yeah. I've got number one down. Um, okay. Yeah. So the second one is saying, um, you'll pay me back, but yet I've never asked to be paid back. However, monetarily or emotionally. Well, it's like, I mean, both. It's just the non yeah. not being dependable or not, or not following through is a really big thing with me. And what's the word for that? And is this with friends or romantic relationships? With a, any relationship I have in my life. Okay. Then my question for you is why are you loaning people money? Not just money though. Also, like if you're going to say that you're going to help with a choreography and you don't show up, that's also just as equivalent, you know? Great. Okay. Yeah. That, ma that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So people who don't show up for you the way you show up for them, which yeah. also makes sense because dad didn't show up for you. Never. Yeah. Dad or, was supposed to, but yeah. he was very busy. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And now how can yeah. we do, I guess, what is the solution? Well, look, the solution not to you, have any expectations step, or that's a lot. No, no. Look, the first step is understanding that this is wired into your history, that, that why it's a trick. Right. But then the second thing is screening over time when it comes to picking partners or friends, that if this is something that you know about yourself, you mm. want to be very selective about who you allow in your inner circle, who you do business with, who you are doing things for, and also to let people know if they make a commitment to you, if they say, oh yeah, I'm gonna choreograph this piece, to say to them, hey, I just wanna let you know, I'm the kind of person, if you make a commitment to me, I take it very seriously as I take my commitments to you very seriously. If, if you feel like you're not sure if you wanna do this or you're not sure if it works with your schedule, mm -hmm. let me know now because I'd like to get our working relationship off on a good start mm -hmm. because this is something that is kind of a deal breaker for me in my relationships if, if people say they're going to do something and don't. So would that scare, let's say this was a person you dated, right? Like, or you went on after a first or second date, wouldn't that scare that other person off? But who cares, well, I right? I wouldn't say it after a first date, like, right. hey, you said that you were going to take hey. me dinner yeah. next time. And if you don't, then I need you to understand my father abandoned me. And if you abandon me. By the way, that's me. me. That is me. Yeah. I get, I just yeah. have diarrhea of the mouth. Yeah. But yeah, that's me. Yeah. Anyway, Boundaries I probably should stop. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's important to allow someone to earn that information from us. And look, oh, granted, okay. you have a podcast, so they're going to hear it here. Wait, say more with earning. Say more yeah. with the earning part. Earning means seeing how people perform over time. Got it. And seeing if you are dating someone and you share a piece of information, you don't want to right away share the big, gigantic things that if this person shared this with someone else, it would be really catastrophic for you or really hurtful or really upsetting. You start with the smaller things and you work your way up and see how they perform over time. And over time is not a week or a month. Over time is a year, two years, three years. Stop. Yeah. Are you kidding? No. Okay. So wait, okay. Because I have this podcast in my particular situation, I share everything. Yeah. Except, I mean, not details of certain things, obviously, but like yeah. I've, a year, two years, three years. 
Yeah. Yeah. Look, that's crazy for me. Sorry. You, not You're not crazy. Yeah, it's but, me. That, no, no. Don't worry. We're all a little crazy. But, well, that's my next trigger is when well, someone calls me crazy. <laughs> but you know what? I, I say embrace it. Yeah. And to me, the answer to that is, yeah, we're all a little crazy, aren't you? I mean, like, I think that people who can't admit that they have a little bit of crazy, like those are kind of the scariest people because if you know what your crazy is, yeah. like you're, you can work on it, you can address it. Like we're all, all a little nutty. Totally. Okay, wait, condition. go back. Go back to the one, yeah. two, three years. Because what if you're yeah. like me and I'm 38 and maybe I might have a slight chance of like wanting to have a family. It doesn't matter. <laughs> sure. Look, it doesn't matter if you feel like you have a time clock. Typically, it takes 18 months to know what you got. You mean with the so, other person? Yep. A year and a the half. The honeymoon phase wow. typically lasts 18 months. It can be as little as six months, as much as two years. If you do long distance, it can be longer. But it takes about that long because look, the honeymoon phase is, oh my God, you like pizza? I like pizza too. I can't believe how compatible we are. All you see is how we're like, oh my God, the chemistry is amazing. Yes, we should totally have sex again. Let's do it again. Oh my God. Like the endorphins, the, the oxytocin, it's fantastic. It is, so in the beginning, we're getting a lot of chemicals in our brains that are making us feel all kinds of delicious, wonderful things. It makes it harder to see who's in front of us. Yeah. And look, I do recommend to people to wait to sleep together, not because I'm How a prude, not, not because, hold on, not because you should play games about sex, but because Typically, for women in particular, the amount of oxytocin that our brains release, which is that bonding hormone, it can really prevent us from seeing what's in front of us. And I would say probably 80% of the women in my practice, once they've slept with someone, they lose a lot of objectivity. I fall in love fast. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not love. Nope. That's lust. That's chemistry. That is infatuation. But to truly love someone, you have to know them over time and you have to know them on a really deep and profound level. How many, how long does that take? 18 months. More than 18 months. More than 18 months. <laughs> so wait, when do yeah. people have, so let's say, so do you also recommend that I date a pool of men when I'm ready? I recommend that you date a pool of men because there's no a reason small for you to pool. take yourself yeah, look, you are someone who sounds like you are marriage-oriented and you want to have a family. I am like. a serial monogamous. And you have to be careful because when you start to do the monogamy thing, you're taking yourself off of the market and closing yourself off to other possibilities. You're putting all your eggs in one basket. But I could not date someone who's, who is not uh, monogamous. I understand that monogamy is the ultimate goal. That's great. But what if someone wants to have like an open relationship? I think that's a red flag for that, me. That's not for you. Yeah, no. That's not for you. That, yeah. That's not compatible. That's one of those things like, you know, I talk in my book about what are deal breakers. And there are a few things that are definitely deal breakers. Monogamy, if you are someone who wants a monogamous relationship, that is not a negotiation. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who wants to have a child, not a negotiation. That's something that should not be that you shouldn't have to give up. That's too important of a life yeah. experience. 
The number of kids, that to me can be negotiated. If you're with someone who's like, I want two and well, I want three, that can be negotiated, that can be discussed. But to have kids or not have kids, not negotiable. How about when it comes to sobriety, right? So I've been, obviously, I'm not perfect and it's one day at a time, but lately I have been thinking about drinking again. Um, I have, I'm a lot better than I was two weeks ago, put it that way, but it's really important, I guess, too, for me to really understand what is triggering, right, as far as that goes. And I was out with a few friends um, like a couple weeks ago, and I've realized that after 10.30 p.m. is my curfew because nighttime and alcohol is a trigger for me. And I also you know, we'll drop you off. If you want to go to an after, I mean, after it's probably when the night starts, right? 1030 is like senior citizen time, but that's fine. I'll drop you off. But I think when I start seeing sloppiness, like when I start seeing someone get really good, like feel good, that's when I want to drink. Cause I'm like, I want to feel yeah. good too. And are you in a 12 step program? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you say you're thinking about drinking, are you talking to your sponsor about that? For, oh yes, absolutely. For sure. Okay. Yes. No, she's and very up to date. How would drinking make your life better and healthier? It wouldn't. And- no, believe me. I know that. I he- I see it, okay. right? But like the just like if I were to be unconscious as I was at that yeah. moment, I think it helps for me to call it out because if I don't call it out, then the yeah. shame builds and then but I'm also sure. competitive. <laughs> yeah. But I'm also like I know I will lose all the self-respect and self-love for myself if I pick up a drink. Yeah. And, so and I would and it would also, never happen. I can just say that. It will never and, happen in that sense, but when I'm not conscious, it could happen. Yeah. And also you're doing so much incredible work on yourself and your evolution. That's the way to attract a healthy partner. Mm. If you start drinking again, you're unlikely to attract yeah. a healthy partner. You're right. You're right. Because yes, you will, I will you think will I deserve shit. Yeah. Who, but you will attract someone who likes being self-destructive okay, and that's not a good match for you that that's like a fatal match for you yes yeah yes you're like psychic but you're not you're just you you get it (laughs) um maybe you're psychic I don't know you but quick last question is it okay that I'm still like I'm not texting anybody I'm not like nothing like it's just me and my Frenchie hanging out um which is makes me actually feel very um secure and also I feel safe you know and I see my friends who are like their whole life is being dictated by a text message or like I'm just I'm gonna go I'm not gonna like and their mood and I'm like I do not miss that and I know it's not either this being alone or that but I guess how much is it okay for me that I'm single now and is it okay if I'm still single in a year from now it's more than okay it's actually fantastic for you knowing that you can stand on your own two feet that you don't have to have a man to feel happy, that you can have a peaceful, wonderful life. It sounds like you have a great support system, a great network of friends and also meetings and sobriety friends and support. Like that's fantastic. And you are far more likely to attract a healthy partner knowing that you can spend six to 12 months on your own peacefully and joyfully. That's going to attract a healthy partner. I hear you. And my, just to, I know we have to go, but like, I wonder though, to my social phobia, I've been diagnosed with, I, I don't want what I don't want. And I hear you. And I'm grateful that you said that. Cause it makes me feel like, okay, I know I'm not ready, but I also know I can get really comfortable being alone. 
Well, but here's the thing. I don't want you locked in your home, not having any interactions. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not the case, but yes. yes. But, but if you are going out with your girlfriends, with your friends, if you're going to work, you're doing your thing, like then I'm not worried. Then you're, you're having emotional connections and you need to have the emotional connections to not get agoraphobic. What's that? But you don't need to date. Agoraphobia is where you are so anxious leaving your house that it, it becomes debilitating and you can't leave oh, your house. Oh, no. Not yeah. Yet. I'm kidding. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. You, I can honestly talk to you forever. Um, please tell everybody where they can find you, your Instagram handle, social media, and also your books. Cause I do highly recommend, um, sorry, I forgot what the book is called, but the one that it, I'm reading. It's called the, the relationship fix. Here you go. There right it is. There. Nice. Uh, Dr. Jen, six step guide to improving communication, connection, and intimacy. You can find me on social media at Dr. Jen Man. Two ends on Jen, two ends on Man. You, you can also find me in, in Style Magazine online. And I have a weekly sex and relationship column called Hump Day with Dr. Jen. Um, so there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Really. I learned, I learned so much. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. Please. I, it was really a joy for me as well. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much to Dr. Jen Mann for coming on Burke in the Game. I love anyone who's a certified therapist. I'm like gravitating towards her brain and just what she has to say. And so excuse the interruptions. I was just very excited. Anywho, we got a lot of responses from last week's question, which was, should you follow up with someone that owes you money and hasn't paid you back yet? So one response that stood out to me was from at Specific Skincare who left this comment on our IG. If it's understood that it's a loan, I think a date for repayment should be established so there aren't any awkward feelings in having to ask for the money. If that date comes and goes without mention of payment, then it definitely needs to be brought up. I agree. Great advice. Um, sometimes though, when it comes to relationships, I find that any talk of money or all of that, like, okay, you know, here's a loan and here's the dates you need to pay me back. It just takes the, I think a lot of people would agree too. It takes that kind of role. It doesn't make it very romantic, right? Like it's a really hard conversation, but I totally agree with you and you guys, this really helps me. So keep it coming when it comes to, um, answering our questions on IG or our email address. And for this week, the big question is what's a trigger for you in relationships? I've got tons um, I didn't even finish my list with Dr. Jen, but um, give me one trigger for you guys um, when it comes to relationships, okay? And we want to hear from all of you, so please email us again at burkinthegame at iheartradio.com or DM us on Instagram at burkinthegame. Bye. Thanks for listening and coming along this journey with me. If you like what you hear, then feel free to give this podcast five stars. You can also follow along with my journey on Instagram at Burke in the Game. And if you have any advice or want to write in, then email me at Burke in the Game at iHeartRadio.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's of in treatment. Join my hosts as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.